So while you are all sat at home, seriously bored, trying desperately not to pop out to the shop for another bar of chocolate, um, and fed up of watching reruns on the BBC, I thought it would be a good idea if I got my little contacts book out and rang around some of my pals, acquaintances, chums, colleagues all over the world to see what they're doing, how they're affected, uh, and just shoot the breeze, really, and, and have a laugh and, um, and kill an hour, frankly. So uh, with that in mind, and I didn't mean to uh, make that sound like, you know, we get any old Tom, Dick or Harry, because this chap is <laughs> <laughs> no Tom, Dick or Harry. He's a Jimmy, and he's uh, Jimmy from Hunters and Frank Out. How are you doing, Jim? I'm very well, thank you, Nick. And you? Yes, excellent form. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Jimmy, you, you may have heard um, people talk, if you're from these aisles, and if you're from America, you might still be aware that Hunters and Frank Out are the company responsible for importing Cuban cigars to the UK and Jersey and the, and the Channel Islands. Is that right, Jim? That's correct, yep. And yep. Gibraltar, is that correct? Well, we have sub-distributors in okay. Ireland and uh, Gibraltar, yeah. Um, so yeah, hunters uh, yeah. bring in all the Cubans that we love to try and, and smoke and age and, uh, and talk about. And Jimmy is the um, comms and something manager, Jim? Yeah. Yeah, I um, well, my business card said his head of communications and training. Lovely. So, yeah. So I've known Jim for a good <laughs> few years now. And he's the, yeah. he's the guy at Hunters who um, I ring up and say, look, I'm writing a story about, I don't know, <clears throat> Monte Cristo number fours. I can't remember, you know, do they sell well? Are they the best-selling cigar? Have you got any pictures? Jimmy says, mm, oh, hang on, I'll have to have a look. <laughs> and we generally talk about life and families and stuff, and then eventually we make something happen. So <laughs> welcome, Jimmy. Good to hear from you, my friend. It's good to be here. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for the invitation. How is, your, um, how is your life at the moment? What is a working day for you now? Um, so what do we, we – I suppose from last week, I actually was off for a couple of weeks um, unwell. Maybe with the flu, maybe not. Who oh, knows? Right. I was getting tested. Um, but last week and this week, I'm working from home, which is quite unusual for us at Hunter and Frank Al. But um, I've, I've got everything sent up to me from the office that I need. Right. And I'm just, you know, I'm set up on the kitchen table, annoying the hell out of my wife and getting annoyed by my kids. Yeah. So, what are the kids doing? Are they schooling? Uh, 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 as long as they're away from my cigars and my lighters, it's all right. I think we, we are doing we are doing some schooling where we can, but it's it's a, I think like literally millions of other people, it's a very difficult juggling act at the moment. My wife works from home anyway, um, so she's here, which helps in a lot of ways. Um, but it's difficult. Yeah, it is difficult. The hours are slow, somewhat. They're not restricted to nine to five. Mm. <laughs> you kind of get the work done where you can. Yeah. But uh, I'm not complaining. God, I'm not complaining. I'm very lucky to be able to work from home um, and be able to carry on, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of people in very bad situations out there. Is, the um, is home London then, Jimmy? No, I live in the favelas of Essex now, Nick. I grew uh. up in London. <laughs> I, I grew up in North London and then moved to Harlow about five years ago. Right. Yeah, so Leafy Harlow. And uh, how is Harlow? Quiet? Um, I mean, at the moment it is, yeah. It's always, um, it goes from kind of quite quiet to slightly terrifying. 
No, that's not true. Barlow's a lovely place, to be honest. I'm being unkind. It's um, it's quite quiet at the moment. Um, people seem to be uh, staying at home, which is good. Um, but on the whole, it's a it's a nice place to live. It's uh, it's the kids and the kids like it. We've got a couple of dogs. You know, I'm settling into middle age quite nicely, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got a couple of little dogs, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, you put them together, you get one dog. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh hunters are you know currently still supplying as and where they can what's the what's the sort of official gonna, situation yeah so we're going to do our best to continue to supply um i mean supermarkets we supply um and off license and wine merchants yeah which are still open um considered vital um and as part of their range tobacco comes into that and so right. we will we, we try and we will try and supply for as long as we can in a safe way and as long as we're adhering to the government guidelines um there's i drove into the office last week to pick up some stuff which i needed for work and um at the moment we're operating with a real skeleton staff so a few guys in the warehouse i think two or three people in the warehouse a couple of guys upstairs in the office um, and then everybody else has been um, set up to work remotely, which is a huge, a huge endeavour for us. There's yeah. not that many of us in the office, but it's just something that we don't normally do. The reps aren't making calls on, on anybody at the moment. So they're all working from home. Um, yeah, it's just um, we're battening down the hatches, I suppose, like a lot of businesses. And what about the your bond um, warehouse, as it were? I mean, where where the... <laughs> where the stock is kept i'm not i'm not asking for the exact address and could you lend me the key but um presumably there's people just tick, you know keeping it ticking over but really uh, i guess that's the good thing about cigars you can you can leave them to it well i mean there's a lot of stock in our working warehouse so as a company some time ago we took the uh expensive stock position yeah to hold two years worth of stock generally right. of all of our of all of our havana cigars it's a lot of um, cigars yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they need maintenance as well. So there'll be people in the warehouse. Generally, what would happen when we were functioning normally, a van would drive up full of stock every morning to our offices in London, which are in Parsons Green, West London. And and that would be the stuff that we would need to replace our operational stock, which stays in, in, in Parsons Green. Right. At the moment, I'm not sure how often that, 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 uh, that trip's being made. But I, I, I imagine you'd, you'd have to have two or three people in the warehouse in Woking as well, just to keep things ticking over. Yeah, yeah. But it's, as long as everybody can operate in a safe way, maintain distance, and we're able to supply cigars to people, um, we'll continue to do so, I suppose, until it becomes yeah. until the situation changes, which seems to happen every ten minutes at the it moment. It does really. So, I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, by the time I was going to say, by the time you actually post this out there. All of this information will be out of date. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've only been, you know, locked down for a week. It feels like a month. Well, I feel like an old hand because I, 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 I was unwell for a couple of weeks, and then I've been working from home. So I, I feel like I've been locked up for about a month, and then I was in yeah. Cuba before that. So, I, yeah, I haven't been in the office for the best part of a month. Apart Very from strange. Yeah. So how how did you get into this? How it, Games. Sorry. I mean, um, back in the day, how did you end up in cigars? Wow. I am, um, like a lot of other cigar people, I used to be a painter and decorator. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, what my, it's what my dad did, and it's what both my brothers spent time on the brush with him, just as did 
guy. And um, yeah, I mean, my dad was very, very good at what he did, but he was a terrible businessman and a real kind of warning about how not to do things in some ways. <laughs> and and so I kind of, I didn't want to do that for too much longer. Uh, went to university, did the traveling thing, came back. And my wife, who was my girlfriend then, um, sent off uh, my CV to JJ Fox. Didn't even tell me. No way. That she'd sent it. I was working in a bookshop. Yeah. Were you into in cigars even then, then, Jimmy? No. Right. No. I think like a lot of people, I'd smoke one if we were having a poker night or... Yeah. A wedding, or you know, if the boys, if we all go to the races or whatever, we grab some, grab some lardy dars. But it was um, no, I started from basically no knowledge at all. In must have been two thousand and one. Yeah. At, at Jay Fox in Selfridges, I nearly blew the interview off. I remember um, I went down. I think um, Robert Emery, who some people might know, um, mm. one of the mentors. He wouldn't like me saying that, but one of the mentors in my career. Um, I think he's been apologising to people for nineteen years, Nick. <laughs> He, he was the first person that decided to put me. It was his fault, was it? Yeah. It's his fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then I, yeah, so then I worked in Selfridges, I don't know, I suppose for about six and a half years. Um, and, you know, worked with the Fox family. They're great people. I'm still friendly with them. Um, yeah. Rob and Stuart Fox are, are good guys, you know. Um, but I just think Selfridges wears people out. I felt like it's a, it's a lovely, lovely shop, but it's quite challenging, you know? Um, yeah, I can imagine it is. In terms of, like, because you're in the same little place every day or the clientele without, you know, without disparaging. No, no, no. The, the, the clients were great. The staff were great. Um, there's just something about what, I mean, it's like a small village, you know? Um, right. And there are layers and layers of internal management and there's lots yeah. of processes and, you know, just to, you understand why. But just to take a box of cigars and take it outside or deliver it to somebody's home address, you need paperwork filled out in triplicate or, or and you need signed by five or six different people. And the whole thing just becomes a little bit of a drag. But it was, it was a lovely experience. Overall, it was a lovely experience. And I still go to Selfridges now on a shop there and I pop in and see the guys. So not hard. But I think six and a half years was, was my, was, I was ready for a change after six and a half years, I think would be the, the way I'd yeah. put it. But you obviously yeah. took to the cigar angle because you wouldn't have stayed there that long if you didn't get something out of it. No, no, no. I mean, if I was selling T-shirts in Gap, I would have lasted six months, I think. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because where the department used to be, we had a big pipe wall and lots of the kind of aromatic pipe tobaccos and beautiful SD DuPont lighter displays and different people that would come to the department to work would be drawn to different areas yeah. of the department quite naturally just through their interests i was always interested in the cigar room and uh very quickly realized that um cigars were a bit more than just a nicotine hit and yeah just kind of fell in love with them and i remember going around to some friend's house for dinner and taking a little pack of cigars and being absolutely stunned that none of them really wanted to smoke them because <laughs> i thought they were the best thing i'd ever found yeah uh, and so yeah. Who in the, who in the um who in the industry our little, little our little sphere was around then? Do you remember bumping into early and chatting to and things like that? I remember um, John Danton coming yeah. into the shop. Um, Simon Chase, of course. Of course. I think I remember being introduced to Anna Lopez early on in her time over there. Right. Um, I used to see 
John Fuggle from Dunhill. I think he might have retired now. Jerry Meir used to come and see me from Tor. Bless him. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, Paul Bilby, who's who's uh, over at Harrods now, he also he also has part of the blame. He has to carry <laughs> some of the blame for giving me the job as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of the faces are still here, you know, Roger yeah. Merton. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I just think it was a an incredibly. I mean, I learned a hell of a lot in those six years. Not just about cigars, but about retail management, about all sorts of different aspects of the business. Um, and I think that's held me in good stead, you know. Especially now, I do the training, and I've got something I can relate to, even though it's kind of over ten years ago now. Something I can relate to the guys that are still selling cigars on the shop floor or in the hotels in terms of customer relations. So, yeah, it's um, a really useful um, experience to draw on still, you know? I remember you telling me about um, one of the things you used to, you know, do got, was drummed into you and then you drummed it into anyone with you, was, you know, brushing down the cigars and that's always... <laughs> so tell us about that. <coughs> well, I think um, we used to say if you want a box of cigars to smile at you, you brush its face. And I think every <laughs> retailer of cigars, maybe not so much in the new world, maybe if you've got um, American listeners where a lot of them are cellophane wrapped. Yeah. But Havana cigars all come now, all come naked or un um, unwrapped. And they show up dust very easily. And so we used to, use, uh, every retailer in, this, in the UK will have a soft bristle brush somewhere in a drawer just to brush the cigars. And so we used to have that on the rotor to do once or twice a week. Um, because I always feel like the first impression you get when you walk into a cigar shop is anywhere, really. But uh, it's really important. that You want to be met with a well-stocked uh, well shelves without them being overstocked. Yeah. Bands should all be facing the right way up. I mean, I've got a bit of OCD, to be honest with you, Nick. So, <laughs> I mean, in some ways it was great. In other ways, it was a bit of a pain in the ass for some of the people that worked with me. Um, but we had, you know, we had um, we had standards um, that we all agreed, and one of them was that the cigars had to be brushed. <laughs> I, I don't know if they still do that now. I That's bet they nice. Don't. And then they sort of give a little bit of sheen and, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. Get get all the dust off it. We're not talking about bloom or bloom. We're just talking about just generally. Just yeah. if you brush anything off the top of it, the oil comes through, and you can see the, the reflection from it. You can see that there's that sheen to them, and they just look more appetising to me. <laughs> and that's what you want. You know, it's like when I take my kids to the cinema and you take them and you say, right, okay, you can have some pick and mix. And the feeling that they have of looking at that big wall of sweets is what we want people to feel when they come into a cigar shop. That excitement. Yeah. Now, what should I have? Oh, I'm going to have to have some of these and one of those. And, oh, that looks good. And, and that can only happen if the cigars are set up to look as good as they can. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like, it's like to the same degree that when, you're looking, when I look in my own humidor and I try to find a cigar to pick for myself, um, you know, you find what one looks nice today. I don't know what it, it means. Yeah. You know, you, there's always a cigar that will catch your eye. Well, what was that this afternoon? Got. What have you got fired up? Well, <laughs> I sound a little bit grand here, actually, Nick. I've, I'm smoking um, a Cohiba Maduro oh. 5 Kenios. Um, but that's because if I, I think that's because if I didn't smoke it today, it would fall apart. So <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's already looking a little bit unloved, but it tastes great. It tastes Good great. Cigar, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, got absolutely. a little, um, little tiny Upman Corona on the go, which I just think they're fabulous. They are fantastic. Half okay, Corona. The, um, half Corona. Oh right, yeah. yeah. No, that's a. I mean, that's. I think that's the last box of cigars I bought. I think I can. 
just about smoke one of those before one of my kids kills the other one or yeah dance on the dog or something like yeah, that. Exactly. They're, they're, yeah. they're a proper cigar but they're only 20 minutes which and they're is... tasty they give you you know they give you a good proper cigar experience and it, but you're right you're not like going for god's sake you know i'm halfway through my edmundo and i've got to <laughs> chase the <laughs> dog down worse. the garden or <laughs> there's nothing worse you know there's nothing worse i think choosing the right cigar for the time i mean you know i mean we've had this conversation before nick so i'm not telling you anything you don't know but i just think Choosing the right cigar for the moment is not just about the drink and the food and the time of day and all of these things, which of course play a part, but it's making sure that you've got the time to enjoy the thing. Yeah. Because, you know, even if you've got all the money in the world, if you don't smoke the whole cigar, you don't get the full story. And it's, um, yeah, you're, you're losing out. You're robbing yourself of, of a, a big part of the enjoyment if you only smoke half of the cigar, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I learned very early that you've got to be comfortable, you know, and I'm not, I don't just mean, you know, sitting in an armchair, but you've got to be at ease, perhaps is a better way of putting it, because, you know, it must have been early days when I went to have a cigar and back then you could have a cigar pretty much anywhere, but I'd sit, you know, at, at maybe at a cafe outside and try to light a cigar and then you get somebody who gives you the evils and suddenly... Yeah. <laughs> that cigar doesn't become enjoyable, no matter how good it is, or for me anyway. I couldn't sit there and no, enjoy no. a good cigar with people t touching and coughing. And, um... I mean, it's funny though, isn't it? Can you imagine smoking a cigar in a restaurant now? Oh, unbelievable. In a busy restaurant. I just, I don't think I would, even if I could. It would feel like an imposition on the not other anymore. Uh, not anymore. You couldn't, could you? Uh, but I, I, I mean, when Grace was born, my eldest, she's 15 now, I smoked a Kiba Robusto in the pub, in the local pub. Well, quite right too. Standing at the yeah. bar. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's strange. And I think, bloody hell, imagine doing that now. You get lynched. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody better than I did. No. Funny. No, absolutely not. There we so, are. Um, we, have, we have a lot of lovely places that you can still smoke a cigar now. So I think... If you can get out. We, when I say now, I think maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Take that with a pinch of salt. But, um, so are you sitting outside your house now? Yeah, I'm sitting outside in my back garden. Um, Freezing. Getting slightly bothered by my little dog, one of my little dogs. And um, no, no, it's not too bad. It's, it's no. not great, but it's not too, it's dry. Yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining. It's, uh, it's half 12 on a, on a weekday and I'm having a cigar. So Very good point you raised, Jimmy. Mm. Um, yeah. So if you, you, when you said earlier you got uh, some stuff sent over to you, does that include, can you, you know, can you say, look, by the way, you know, I, I, I need to reassess the Vega Rabina Unicos. So I need to have a couple of sticks and give it, how does it work? Well, I mean, with the cigars, I mean, you've been to our office. We have a yeah. boardroom humidor. Um, we have a walk-in humidor in our boardroom. And what will generally happen is I will... Um, if there's something that I want to smoke or something, maybe, for example, you might mention something that you want to try or you will ask me if I think that they're smoking particularly well. Yeah. I'll get a box from my warehouse, I'll pop them in the humidor in the boardroom and then I'll take a couple of sticks um, to see. Um, right. So one of, the, one of the great things about the job I have is that, um, I mean, you get asked all the time, I'm sure you do too, what's your favourite cigar? And yeah. actually, it's part of my job to smoke across the portfolio yeah. and be aware of what's smoking well and what's, maybe um uh, not so well um and and so i don't really have a favorite cigar so yeah i mean I, of course i could i could ask them to send me some cigars up 
I don't think that's the best use of time for the guy to warehouse <laughs> at the moment. But, no, um, that might raise you know, an I'm, eyebrow, perhaps. I'm, I'm very fortunate in, I mean, we work, you've been to the office, you, you know, we, yeah. we, our, our, our office space is on the first floor and on the ground floor is a, a large humidified warehouse full of floor to ceiling full of cigars. So, um, yeah, whatever we need to smoke, we smoke in order to keep on top of things. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a privilege part of my job. It is yeah. really, and I often think it's like, I don't know, it'd be just the same if you're a champagne, you know, um, market, marketing guy, you, you know, you've got to keep sort of reminding yourself that people view this as a, you know, high days and holidays, luxury occasion thing, and, you know, human nature being what it is, you could easily sort of pop a couple in your pocket and forget about it, and, th- and somebody would say, well, blimey, I, you know, that's 30 quid cigar you got there. Um Oh yeah, I mean, I've been, to I've, take I, things for granted, isn't it? I've, yeah, I've I've had lunch with a few of those champagne guys, and they they don't do too badly out of things either. No, true. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, you know what it's like. Well, and you have people like me. You have to, you know, wine and dine, Jimmy. It's tricky. Uh, another day at the coalface, Nick. You know, <laughs> how's your book going? Good, really good. I mean, uh, interestingly, this is only anecdotal. Um, evidence but I've noticed a lot of people on Insta posting and saying you know lockdown and join the book and with a cigar oh, nice. in that regard I suppose it's a perfect time to, to read something like that isn't it um, you know you might just as well settle down with a with a book and and, and, and enjoy it and that's a, it's actually a perfect book for times like this because you can kind of dip into it and you know put it down pick it up and, well, and also uh, it's a bit of an escape isn't it because we're talking about <laughs> far away <laughs> sunny places, and yeah, yeah. Talking of far away sunny places, how many times have you been to Cuba now? Um, twelve, twelve. Right. Yeah. And and how was it this last time before you you know fell ill or whatever, and the craziness yeah. of the? It was just after the festival. You normally go with your training group, don't you? So I take. Um, what happens is the the end of the the end of the harvest is traditionally kind of mid March, so the festival happens the last week of February, so that you can go to the the plantations and you yeah. can see the the farmers uh, harvesting, but you can also go and see the curing and the sorting, fermenting, aging, everything happening at the same time. So it's a great time to go for training as well. So I, in order to avoid the the glorious madness of the festival we go the week after and it, we used to for a while we were catching the plane that everybody from the uk would fly back so everybody that had been to the festival oh, really? would wave would stand in the airport and wave at us as we walked past and we'd always try and work out who looked worse me having spent <laughs> 10 hours drinking gin and tonic out of a plastic thimble yeah or um, or the guys that have spent a week um enjoying everything that cuba has to offer yeah so it was great this year it was really i mean i think the one thing that really stands out for me um is the food is fantastic in cuba if you know where you're going really you can eat so well yeah yeah, yeah. you can eat so well in cuba if you know i mean the, cuba is having a difficult time at the moment i think yeah. um the relationship or the lack of relationship they have with america um isn't where it was under obama no um trump seems to be bringing things back into a kind of a pre-Obama state. 
where you know relationships are kind of being uh, i suppose um yeah it's very difficult to talk about really i mean i just see it from the cuban people's point of view yes and um and i've got quite a lot of friends out there and you know i'm not here to talk politics or anything like that but um it's difficult i think that what i'm hearing is that it's quite difficult in cuba for cuban people you know um which is a which is a great shame because they're amazing people it's an amazing country and when Um, that little bit window opened to you know two three years ago whatever you know, and we and you, and you and I would both have been and seen you know, that, that absolute, you know, sort of blooming of, of little businesses and people making things happen. And if they're, they're nothing, if not resourceful. And it was great to was see them earning a few quid, somebody wasn't described, it? Somebody described it as um, like uh, rain in the desert, you know, yeah. and all these, these um, plants begin to... It's exactly what it was like. ...out of nowhere and life returns. And it's... I mean, Cuba will always be Cuba, um, but it seems like things are kind of falling back now to uh, how they were before, which is right. which is a shame. But for our little group, we, it was great. We went to um, La Corona factory. We went to, in fact, we went to La Corona factory, and there was a there was a, a chap there called Aníbal Delgado González who came to Q, came from Cuba to the UK as a cigar roller. Did he? And I looked after his tour in 2012. Oh, uh, okay. He came to my house. I cooked him lunch. Uh, he met my family. Um, met my wife. Met my daughter. Um, I don't think my son had been born then. And um, and then so I I met him in La Corona factory. Just bumped into him. He was rolling cigars. No way. Next to him was his son, who had just passed the qualification to be a roller, and he very proudly, oh. with paternal pride gave me one of his son's cigars to try. Ah, what a lovely and, story. And things like that, you know, make you realise how lucky, or make me realise how lucky I am. To so have, how old would uh, his boy be then? I don't know. He looked um, pretty young, but then as I get older, everybody gets younger. <laughs> I would guess probably 20, if I had to guess. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. No, yeah, not 12 or anything like that, no. <laughs> and we went to El Aguito, which seems on very good form. Um, Elegito is the home of Cohiba, which you know. Um, yeah. And yeah, we had a little tasting. We tried the new Tributo in the Havana Club Museum in the tasting rooms. We had a we had a good tour. Yeah, really nice group of people as well. So very easy for me in that respect. But then I've been doing it for 10, 11 years now. So you still... I, should have, I should have the hang of it by now, shouldn't I? Yeah. I mean, do you still <laughs> get that thrill when you land or is it a bit, you know, yeah. so obviously yes. you're no, different no. to you. You're not on holiday. You are working. Um, no, it's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, I think that um, I was talking to the guy because some of the guys on the trip were saying to me, you know, do you just get bored of this because you've done it before? And um, And I said, if I ever get bored of it, I'll find something else to do and find right. someone who's still got the enthusiasm to come and do this job because if you can't get excited as a cigar man, just go to Havana yeah. and visit the factories and visit the plantations and visit Havana's SA and do all of these things, then, you know, you're probably in the wrong business. I don't think I'll ever get bored of it. I honestly don't. I mean, I've been, I mean, lucky. As well. I've been lucky in that I've been to... Um, factories all over the world or you know all over the place from machine maids to handmaids in dominican and mexico and you know everywhere yeah. and, uh, but i still love going in a factory and there's something about it that just makes my heart sing when you walk in and smell that tobacco and 
see how old fashioned it is and it's not all mechanized and there's people in there real people do you know what I mean? <laughs> well i'll tell you i'll tell you a couple of, i mean first of all i think it's alchemy you know what you watch there is you see yeah. people take a bunch of leaves and produce a perfect cigar and it's still kind of magic to me and yeah. i've you know and i used to take cigar rollers around the uk for years and watch them do it you know day after day sometimes um never get never tired of getting a thrill from watching them work um but I was talking to these two chaps who've been in the cigar rollers, who've been working for 20 and 25 years, I think. And I asked them, what changes have you seen in the cigar industry, in your factories? And they said, the draw test machines came in, and now we use plastic molds instead of wooden ones for the cigars. And that That's was it. it. <laughs> That's it. Wow. Oh, and sometimes they put metal over their, uh, their tabla, the block that they roll the cigars on. And that was, that was all they could think of in 20 years. We're talking about something that hasn't changed in hundreds of years, really. Yeah. You know, and that's the I thing, mean, you the, could get you know, one of those old grainy black and white pictures of the rolling room and the, and the lecture, lecture at the front reading to them. And you could pick one of those guys out and put him in a factory today, and it'd be no different, would it? No, no, I mean, I, th I suppose the, 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 the moulds came in, what, 20-odd years ago. Or maybe, no, no, that's a bit, a bit earlier than that, isn't it? Well, before they, that, the they mold, did it entirely by hand, did they? Well, I remember the well the the original Kuabas from ninety yeah ninety six yeah were freehand without mold without oh, mold. Really? Huh. You can still find some of those in you know places like Foxes and Davidoff and probably Souters and one or two other places. They look great. Yeah, very oh, individual. Yeah, little, <laughs> little, little little lumpy jobs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, I mean, it's part of the part of the part of the amazing thing about it is um how unchanged it is you know it is and, uh, it's, it's like when you get i mean you've i mean i know you've been lucky to smoke some very old cigars and when you smoke something that was you know was rolled in one of those black and white pictures um yeah. even if you find that the cigar isn't to your taste for one reason or another, that's my dog there <laughs> um, bit of sound effects in the background <laughs> i don't know She's trying to get the cigar out of my hand. Um, <laughs> heavy smoker. Love it. Um, but I think even if you, even if the cigar isn't to your taste, maybe it's um, for whatever reason, yeah. it's impossible not to get kind of feel that historical pull to the yeah. person. What was the person like who rolled this cigar? Yeah, exactly. You know, what was their life like? Where's the cigar been? You know, how many ha how many people have owned this cigar before it's arrived in my hand? And if you can't feel that link to your past when you're smoking a cigar that's a hundred years old or 80 yeah. years old or something, then, you know, um, I can lend you a couple of books to make you realize how special it is. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's an incredible thing to do. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of something I did a while ago. You, uh, you mentioned Robert Emery, the lovely Robert, um, who's now working at number one, a St. James's and, uh, yeah, um, really great guy. Oh, what a lovely chap. Always yeah. got a little smile, a twinkle in his eye, hasn't he? Um, and he gave me a cigar once, which we sat and smoked, and it was, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but I know the year, because it was memorable, it was 1966. Nice. And, uh, and exactly as you say, I remember thinking, crumbs, can you imagine, you know, when the, the person that rolled this, what was going on then, and, you know, all that water under that bridge, and I wonder if that person is even still alive, or, yeah. you know, I mean, you cannot touch history like that with, with sort of, consumables very often can you no i mean i think that the link most people make is to wines and whiskies 
and stuff like that, which have got age on them. Um, and cognacs, you know, when you hear yeah. like the, the guys from Lutres talk about their their their, their cognac, um, they play into the history of the or the age of the the, the juice a lot, quite rightly. Um, but yeah, there aren't many things, you know, there aren't many things that that improve genuinely improve with age when you talk about consumables now. Yeah. Well, while, while you mention that, let's talk about that a minute. I mean, the improve with age thing is, a, is you know, pretty much accepted. It depends, of course, on your palate like anything, but generally yeah. accepted that cigars will, you know, mature and will soften a little and become more rounded and perhaps more sophisticated as a, as a sort of hard edges are knocked off them by, by age. But it's a very unscientific thing, isn't it? I'd love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a few reasons for that. I think it's a it's a handmade product, um, and when you talk about wine vintages, you know they harvest the grapes, they make the wine, they put it into bottles, and then it stays, rests um, until you open it. Whereas with cigars, you're talking about you'll need maybe three, four, maybe five different harvests in order to gather up the leaves that you need and prepare the leaves in terms of fermenting and aging before you're able to make the cigar. And each one's an individual. So you're talking about half a leaf from one plantation and another two leaves from another plantation yeah. a, year, a year later and then another one leaf from another plantation in the other part of the island from a year before that. And it, inconsistency is surprisingly low for me in cigars because they do have character and flavour that you can recognise through the brands. and they have their the personalities, they do, yeah. Yeah, which is incredible, really, for me. Um, but yeah, young cigars, some people absolutely love. So cigars straight off the roller's bench, fumas is what the Cubans call them, smokes, I guess. Right. Um, and some people absolutely love them. I find them a little bit too aggressive yeah. for my palate. Um, but, you know, um, then again, I find some of the older cigars a little bit, a little bit too soft, a little bit too subtle, because I smoke yeah. quite a lot of the new stuff just through the role that I have. Um, and so my palate is, I, I think, cigar will generally be better if you leave it for six months. If it's got six months to a year on it, that's all right. Um, five years is great. And then it's kind of, it's anybody's guess, really. It's, exactly. And, I mean, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you get these cigars that smoke brilliantly and then they dip. And this happened to me with a box of cigars a while ago. Um, a friend of mine was going on holiday and I thought, well, he'll, he'll be happy with these. They're good, still good cigars. I'll give him a few of these cigars because um, I didn't think they were great. Um, and then I realized I had one left, smoked it about a year after I'd given them away and it, and it'd come back in something beautiful. Really? <laughs> I was quite, I was quite disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd giving them away. But it's, it's the, the, the flavor in the strength even oscillates with uh, the cigar. Well, that's the interesting time. thing. You get that little roller coaster ride, like even can be within six months, can't it? You think crumbs, that's pretty, you know, that's not smoking very well. And then six months later, you think, ah, yeah. it's back it's on. A different beast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's one of these things which um, is difficult to convey yeah. to people sometimes when they say, oh, I smoked one of those cigars. I absolutely loved it. I bought a box and I'm not going to touch it five years and you think well that's in some ways great idea but in another way like in five years you'll come back to a different cigar to the one that you love today so if you really do love it smoke it while it's good because we don't know no you know? it's a very absolutely it's such a difficult thing to get your head around like for, you know if it was wine for example they'd say you know best for drinking in the next 
two years or drink now or yeah. lay down 20 plus years but there's nothing like that in cigars because um, we just don't so. know i mean if you min ron me would tell you that you know this that or the other requires a minimum of three years and all the rest of it um most people a aren't in a position to even contemplate such a thing but b you know as you say are you going to like it in three years well, you say most people aren't in a position to contemplate that, and I, I think that's right to a degree, but if you go to one of those big shops, say you speak to Mitch Fortune at Seagulls, yeah. or one of his termo shops, or Davidoff, you know, Souter's Boxes, 1A, you speak to those guys, and you say, I want to smoke something with a bit of age on it, True. they'll have something for you, you know, um, and generally selling it loose, just by the stick. Yeah. So... I think there are ways of trying age cigars. Certainly, something, if you're talking about between three and five years, there's a lot of stock on the shelves that have got that kind of age. You just need to look at some of the less um, mm. high-profile brands. Well, that's a good shout. Yeah. Well, if we were going to give people some, some good tips for sleepers and cigars they may find ready-made on, on the shelf with a little bit of age, what, what, would, you, what would immediately pop into your mind? Sancho Panza. Right. Um, Rafael Gonzalez. Mm. Um, some Ramonianis. Sometimes it's the sizes. So Monte Cristo, if you get something like the Especial or the Especial number two. Yeah. Not popular. Long, thin cigars that people aren't really interested in to the degree that they used to be. Although maybe that's changing with the, the um, Lorena. El yeah. Rey de Mundo Lorena, which we launched a couple of years ago, um, was hugely popular. Wow. Um, but, you know, something like some Lanceros, even from Cohiba, have got a bit of age on them. Um, so I think it's just about kind of speaking to your retailer, really, yeah. as much as anything. Um, something like, a, you know, Romeo and Julieta uh, do an exhibition number four, yeah. which is almost exactly the same shape and size as the uh, short Churchill. Ah. But everybody buys the short Churchill. And so the exhibition number fours, if you can find them, often have... A little bit of extra age on them. In fact, there's a, a guy, I think it's Nick Barker over at uh, Foxes, mm -hmm. describes this exhibition number four as the Thinking Man's Short Churchill. Ah, uh, good show. Um, which, which I think is quite nice. Hoyer de Monterey, Epicure number twos sell very well. Epicure number ones sell a little bit less well. So yeah. they might be something that's got age on them. So but I think you know, your retailer will know straight away where their old cigars are. You know, that's a good show. And I said to you earlier about you know we we were texting each other trying to line up because I was cooking a quiche at the time and so I overran the meeting. Um, <laughs> and tell me about the pastry of that quiche. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a bit of a <laughs> Jimmy took no prisoners, prisoners and pointed out to me it was a humble brag <laughs> because I said to him, "Well, I did make the bloody pastry, Jim." <laughs> <laughs> it was none of this bloody roll it out the fridge lark i tell you mate <laughs> <laughs> so i said to my wife and you know what this always makes her laugh because we've been married for donkey's years and, and been together forever and i said i've always said to her quiches are for tossers <laughs> so quiche bloody rubbish they said that's not a man's food because i always sort of you know associate a quiche with a dreadful buffet where there's a few duff sausage rolls and a cold bit of soggy quiche and oh man to me that's just 
horrible. You're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, because I sort of came up in the world, if you like, and met some people who knew what they were doing, and I was introduced to a quiche or two that was like revelatory. So anyway, in this bloody madness of me sitting there thinking, right, what am I going to do this morning? I thought, bugger it, I'll make a quiche. <laughs> Which sounded like a really nice idea but in the first place, but actually you forget you know things that are worth doing take a lot of time and effort and from starting from scratch to you know popping this quiche out of the oven must have been a good two or three hours um so <laughs> i texted jim and said hang on jimmy i'm just making a quiche <laughs> i mean i've i've had people um delay meetings and conversations for lots of reasons yeah making a quiche is a new one on me yeah that's going um, to be a euphemism, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the quiche came out very successfully and the girls are about to stop for their lunch, so they'll be having it. But what I was going to say was, I texted you and you said, you know, should we smoke something? What have you got? We'll try and do something similar. Well, typically we didn't have anything that the other one had. But one of the, one of the smokes I, I suggested, which I have a, only a few left now, but I always try and keep a stock of, of Rafael Gonzalez Petit Coronas in. Because again, it's that sort of cigar that nobody thinks to smoke, but it's a lovely little cigar. Oh, it's great. I mean, do you, do you remember the Trey Petty Lonsdale they used to do? Oh, how good was that? That's a great cigar. Caramel, like I a, remember that. It's a beautiful little smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's been gone for, God, 15 years? Has it really? Maybe a bit less. 10, easy. Oh, easy 10, yeah. But it's such a shame that, you know, there are so many of those great cigars that not many of us loved, but those that did really did, have sort of had to fall by the wayside. I mean, I always think classic examples of the, um, like the Trinidad. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny. Um, it's always a shame when they discontinue a, a cigar that you like. Yeah. Um, always hard to not take it personally exactly uh, and get all grumpy and old about it and bloody hell they're all fat cigars these days yeah well exactly yeah um but it's it's um i think it's you know from habanos sa's point of view it's a commercial decision and if they don't receive orders from us and other distributors around the world which totals something i think sixty thousand sticks Is then it? it's not commercially viable for them to continue producing it so it's often a case that they will say that they haven't you know that they I, mean, I don't even know if they've ever done it, but um, they say that it might come back, but at the moment there's no demand for it. Right. Um, which, which is understandable because, you know, they have to focus on the cigars that people are buying, which, um, which is just a shame when, you know, I mean, it's something like the Punch Nymphas. I don't know if you remember that. The really oh, yeah, long, the little thin, thin. Yeah. Um, I used to love that cigar. Um, no surprise it went, it went but it was no. um, a great little cigar. Yeah. So but, what does the future hold in terms of, you know, sort of... Uh, size-wise and general trends. I mean, let's ignore the fact of what's going on now, but the one thing that seems to go really well is the regional edition. That's been a really real smash hit, hasn't it, since so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's amazing, really. Um, it's, it's a lovely part of the business, I think. Um, people yeah. are really, you know, people have, I mean, cigar smokers are incredibly generous people. I've, I've Absolutely. always found that. Um, people want you to try a cigar if they liked it. Um, and these regional editions from all over the world have become 
a kind of currency or something. You know, like the old sticker cards, you know, like the Panini stickers. Absolutely. I haven't tried. Oh, I want that one, but I've got, I'll swap, trade you that one for this one. And people want to try, you know, and the buzz around certain cigars. I can't remember. It was this, was it Ser- Serbia did a 109 mm, yeah. Venture Panzer? Yeah. 50. I mean, wow, what a brave decision by them. But it's a great cigar. And very quickly that got a buzz around it. Right. And, um, and you know, sometimes cigars um, capture the imagination of the, of the world cigar smoking community, yes. you know? And I think that's what happened with, with the El Edmundo Lorena um, yeah. and a few of our other cigars. Over, over and people the, sort of, there are those in the world that must have them as well, aren't there? You know, if there's a, someone says to them, Costa Rica yeah. got a fantastic cigar this year, then they will have to have a box of it. You, I mean, we know we know people. We won't name them now, but no. there's people. Um, there's um, people I know who are into music in the same kind of completists. You know, not yeah, collectors, completists. Yeah. yeah, and they have to have every single piece of vinyl pressed by a particular band or artist, and they have to have the you know, racing car green limited run vinyl press of some single that they produced. And some cigar smokers are like that, where they want to have tried everything or they want to have everything in their humidor. And I mean, I remember talking to somebody and said, I don't understand um, the, uh, the, 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 the value of a bottle of wine. You buy a bottle of wine for a million pounds. I don't understand because the value to me in that bottle of wine is through the consumption of it. A painting you put on the wall and you can admire it and appreciate it. Um, and then when maybe you redecorate or whatever, you take the paint off the wall, you sell it, you put something else up there. Um, but you don't just go and look at your wine. And this gentleman says to me, Jimmy, I go and look at my cigars all the time and just check on them and get a real enjoyment out of just making yeah. sure everything's okay. Well, and do you so- know what? I had a bit, I had a moment of cigar geekery over the weekend and it's not something that I do. I don't have a massive selection of cigars cause I smoke too many probably. Um, but I've got, you know, a few boxes of stuff, some of which I've put away, most of which is, you know, is there to be used. But I have got a, under the stairs in the little cold cupboard, I've got a couple of um, of the early humidors that, that Hunter's released and they're signed by Gemma and by Simon. Um, and they've been, you know, they just stay under there and gather dust, frankly. Um, mm. Every once in a while, I think I must just check on them. And so it was when we still had that lovely sun and I, sat out on the deck in outside and I got these boxes out and then I got really into this, you know, just like you say, this sort of covetous, you know, golem, yeah. my precious. <laughs> and, no, I, no, no. Uh, and I, you know, I got each one out and I brushed them. You'd have been proud of me. I oh, brushed well, there them we are, you see. And they gleamed in the sunshine and the oil came through and they smelt like just divine. And mm. so, yeah, there was, you can see why you could, well, I, was, actually, I, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to uh, criticise that type of enjoyment. No, no, not at all. It's important to recognise that everybody enjoys this product. Um, or there's there's a lot of different ways or aspects of enjoyment you get from it. Yeah. Some people are fascinated by the history. Other people want to try the newest stuff that's come out. Other people want to collect everything. Other people don't really care what they're smoking. They just want to sit down and have a smoke. And you know, it's. Um, the, the, you know, the, the cigar scene is big enough for all these ways of enjoying things. You know, one thing, I, one thing I would say about we were talking about aging, and I didn't quite get the mm. chance to make the point that the first thing that has to happen when you're going to age some cigars is they have to be good. They have to be 
yes making good raw materials because if they're not all you end up with is an old crap cigar yeah exactly so you, have, you have to have a good cigar and then you can age it and it can become a great cigar or not depending on lots of other things i've done that before you know i had a crud one and thinking oh bugger i'll put it down for a year and hopefully it'll be better we come back in a year it's still a crud cigar <laughs> yeah well exactly yeah i mean you know time won't heal all wounds i suppose no no wise words can't make, really. can't, can't make a um a silk purse out of a sow's ear and all that oh, sort of yeah. stuff absolutely um, very true yeah yeah but yeah no, I, I, for me the enjoyment of a cigar was about <clears throat> sitting down with some friends or sitting down around a table with some drinks maybe after something to eat and what i love about a cigar is that it's it reduces the world to the table you're sat at you know um yep. there's so yep. many things that distract us um i can work from home now i've got a phone where it's emails and whatsapp and zoom and microsoft meetings and all these other different ways of communicating and contacting each other but actually you sit down with three or four friends light up a cigar you press pause on the world there's there's um there's a franz list quote which says a good havana cigar closes the door on the vulgarities of the world it's so uh, true and, and i hope that comes across in the book is it is it is a, like a making you be in the moment, isn't it? And that's what's such a joy about it. It's like anything that really gets you on a deep psychological basis, like, I don't know, fly fishing or whatever it might be, that you just, yep. everything else disappears and you are there and enjoying the, that flavour, that smell, you watch the smoke and you, you open up. And um, I don't know, countless mm -hmm. more clever people than I have said, you know, if only we could get, people around the world around the table with a cigar you know the world would be a better place and i fervently believe that well there's a great story about churchill isn't there um which i can't remember exactly but he did he have the they were talking about send during the war they were talking about sending supplies to various parts of the world i right. can't remember the story i don't want i don't want to tell the story because i'll just mangle it and get it wrong <laughs> but it, essentially the punchline is he gave everybody a cigar and they settled everything in about five minutes yes i do remember that yeah they've been talking about it for hours yeah uh, it's so much harder to argue with somebody when you're having a good cigar with them it's um and it's, people um, are a lot more tolerant and you know and, and actually those that tend to be belligerent seem to have that sort of you know the sharp edges knocked off a bit i don't know what it is but uh, there's a lot more consensus than they would be outside of, you know outside the cigar lounge there's also there's a, there's also it's a great leveler you know yeah. it doesn't matter who the other person is um if you go and sit in a cigar bar um or terrace um and you like a cigar and you're you're in that terrace with just one or two other people you will almost certainly end up in a conversation with them yeah. Whereas if you go to a bar and you're drinking a gin and tonic on the other side of the bar from somebody else, you'll never end up, well not never, but it's much more unlikely that you'll end up having a good conversation with them. That's um, so true. The amount of, you've lost count the amount of times you are, you'll light something up and the guy next to you will say, hey, what, have you, what are you smoking? And then what are you here mm. for? And next thing you know, it's another, it's another friend, another, another, you know, entry into the contacts yeah. book, isn't it? In that little black book, you know, it's, it's just an amazing yeah, thing. Absolutely. And you, and you meet all sorts of people, you know, yeah. and the one thing that ties them together is the love of the product. And um, if nothing else, we talk about the cigar that we're smoking, you know, and it's always good to hear somebody's opinion on, on the cigar. Um, it's, it's, part of the, it's part of what makes it such... I mean, the joke we have at Hunts and Franco is 
if you have two cigar smokers in a room, you end up with at least three different opinions. <laughs> and that's part, that's, that's part of the fun of this product. Um, sometimes when I do the training sessions, especially when you have people from a drinks background and they want detailed information about tasting notes on every particular cigar so that they can work out what to, but it's too subjective for that. Yeah, it really is. And trying to explain to people that actually that's one of the strengths of this product. And it's one of the things that, that makes it so charming and makes it so, um, you know, it's, it's a subject you never get to the end of, you never work out. No. Um, and actually that, to, to embrace that ambiguity and variation and, you know, the fact that one person will taste one thing and another person will taste something else is, um, is part of what makes it such a magic product. I mean, I was talking to somebody from um, a very well-known uh, cognac house, and he was saying that if you want to be a taster, or if you want to be a blender in a cognac house, um, you go into the blending room where they all taste the different blends and the master blender is there, you're not allowed to talk for the first 10 years that you're there. Uh, seriously? Because you have to listen to how other people appraise this stuff and learn the language that they use. And sometimes I think when people talk about cigars, they're actually describing the same flavor note, but with different terminology. And so yeah. one person might earthy, one person might say spicy, one person might say um, aggressive, or somebody else might say rustic, mm. but they're talking about the same taste. They're just using a different vocabulary. So it's, it's always, you know, you can always learn something from talking to somebody who's smoking a cigar with you, I think. I think you're right. And, <laughs> and, that, that and that's not the same. When, that's not the same. You don't always learn something from somebody <laughs> having a pint with them at a bar. No. <laughs> so well, not, something you'd like, not something you'd want to learn anyway. Not something you want to know, yeah. <laughs> but that quote, um, you know, two cigar smokers, three opinions, that immediately made me think of Simon Chase. I can see him saying it. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, listen, let's... I, I, We've rambled on for long enough, and I know you've got some proper work to do. So <laughs> let's leave this here. But I'd love to have you back on again and then have a chat. And let's talk about Simon because you worked with him and under him, as it were, for many years. And and loads of ten people years, around the world know years, him and love him. So yeah, I'd love to have a chat to you about Simon as well. Anytime, Nick. I would be delighted to come back. Thank, Thank you. you. Very much. It's an absolute yeah. joy to talk to you as always, Jim. Yeah. Well. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, good luck with the podcast. Thank you, my friend. You stay safe. Stay safe. Keep lucky, Nick. Take care, to you buddy. Soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Right. And that was Jimmy McGee. Thanks, Jimmy, for the chance to chat to you. It's always a joy, as I say. Um, and we always have a bit of fun. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Around the World in 80 Cigars with me, Nick Hammond. Now, listen... Uh, if you haven't read my book of the same name, then now is the perfect opportunity. You may have noticed on social media, people everywhere are sending me pictures of them and their book and their cigar all over the world, which is fantastic. If you'd like to buy a copy, get in touch. You can do so through www.nick-hammond.com, N-I-C-K-Hammond, H-A-M-M-O-N-D.com. If you get it elsewhere around the world and board it and get it shipped from Amazon, great. Uh, please do review, leave us a note and let us know how you get on. Get in touch from social media, tell me what you think. And finally, please do your best to spread the word about the podcast. Give us a like or a subscribe or whatever it is that these things work. Drop me an email, nick at nick-hammond.com. Let me know you've enjoyed it, what you'd like to see, to hear. 
anyone you'd like me to get on uh, and some ideas and let's just look after each other in the meantime be safe be well and be happy look after yourselves speak soon <laughs>